0: We want to continue talking today about the future of church. Last week, I kind of gave you a little bit of a cliffhanger and said, we're going to talk and boil down to the essence of what church is, of who church is. What does it look like to be the church? What are the essential elements that should never change? Because here's the deal. When everything else changes church will change in many ways in some ways there's going to be some some adjustments some some fluidity and and maybe that makes you nervous and you say well it shouldn't change i'm not saying it's changing according to the world i'm saying it she needs to change according to the spirit of god the church of the future needs to be a church that is led by the spirit and the holy spirit is not static he is not standing still this is not a dead institution it's a living body and so what that means is, is that if you know the things that should never change, when everything else changes around us, if we know the things that don't change, we can be confident moving into the future. Like I, I've preached in churches in other parts of the world and church looked different. We I've been up north in, in Northern Canada and church looked different. There were different elements, but the core was there. The essential was there. The, the, the stuff around it, the, the structure, the patterns, those might change, but it's important that we as believers go, what can't change? What should never change? What is the church all about? What makes up church? What, what is important in our connection? What is important in our, our, our functioning as the body of Christ? When you know that, you're okay with other things changing. You know listen, I compare it to a sentence when i 'm speaking to you right now i 'm using a lot of words, and not every word that i 'm using is essential. Uh, if I boiled down a sentence to its essential words, only the words that had major meaning in them, well my sentence wouldn 't sound good, and it might not make a lot of sense and, and it might be difficult to understand, even if I had these very important words. They require other words around them to give them context. We have these filler words that are not just there to take up space, but they're there to hold, hold the sentence in place. Well, it's kind of like that with a, with a church service or a church gathering. There are essential things that should never change. We know that the the body of Christ, Jesus Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We know prayer is essential to a church. We know giving is essential to a church. We know the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word is essential. We know fellowship is essential. We know encouragement is is, is essential. We know all these things are essential, but what about the other things? What about, where in the Bible does it tell us that we need to have this many songs, an offering, and then a message? Well, that's not in the Bible. and We know that. And we know the early church probably had a different structure. Uh, but does that mean it's bad? No. Well, where in the Bible does it tell you that you need to send your little kids down for nursery? It doesn't tell you that. So, so is nursery unbiblical? No, it's not unbiblical. It's just that we, when we know what's essential, then there's these other patterns and these other things that, that, that give context and structure. But those things are always open to change those things can be changed, those things can be shifted, as long as you know what are the essential things that never change. I find that most believers, if you were to ask them what's essential about church, they may struggle to answer that question. They may not have looked in their Bible and said what's important, what makes up the body of Christ, and so today what we want to do is dig into that, and, and hopefully in the in the next few weeks we'll get a chance to dig in, what is important? What can never change about church? What is so important that, 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 that no matter what happens, this will always be constant? And when you know those things, when other things change, when the structure changes, and, and, and when this and that changes, then you're confident that the Holy Spirit is the one leading us, not just circumstance, not just the world around us, but the Spirit leading us into new things. You see, when I talk about that, uh, even when I'm talking about it, I'm the one talking, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I like a good routine. I like a good rhythm. I like to have a good plan that we stick to when we find out it works. And when you find out that something works, you don't necessarily want to change it. When this whole thing came up with COVID and and, and we had to disrupt the way we normally did church. I was not comfortable with that. But I also knew that the Holy Spirit was with us and he was gonna guide us. God was gonna guide us through this season and he's also gonna guide us into the next. I said to you before, let's not look for normal. Let's not hope to go back to normal. No, God's got new things in front of us. He He doesn't want us to stay in this season either. This is not forever. But let's look forward to what God has. And if we know these are the things that make up church, these are the things that make us who we are, then we'll be confident when when God says, go this way or that, we'll be confident moving into the future. I've got to admit to you, I struggled um, preparing this message because I had a plan. I had a solid plan of what I was going to talk about. The first element I was going to talk about in regards to uh, the essential elements of the church, what is important, what makes up the foundation of church, I had something in mind, and I had a plan. And my wife can tell you that all this week, I just struggled with it. I, I I was uneasy. I didn't feel like, I felt like I was fighting, and I was like, why am I having such a hard time getting ready to preach this week? Why is this so difficult? And then last night, something happened, or yesterday, something happened, and I told my wife about it. I said, all of a sudden, I just said, Lord, am, am I headed down the wrong path? Is there something else you'd like me to talk about? Am I, did I just make an assumption and run with it? And instantly I knew the answer. God had something different. And the minute I said, yes, the minute I said, yes, I ran to my wife and I said, I ran to Tia and I said, ah, it was so hard. And now it's so easy. The minute I said yes to the spirit of God, all of a sudden revelation came, all of a sudden peace came, all of a sudden I was excited to preach because I wasn't fighting God. You know, a lot of times we fight God because we want what's familiar more than we want what he has for us. We are comfortable and we seek comfort as humans. We desire comfort. Comfort means safety and security and we seek it. But God, is his ultimate goal for you is not always comfort. His ultimate goal for you is not always a sense of normalcy. God is moving you into greater things and that requires a pressing. That requires pushing through um, barriers that you might have set up yourself. I want to tell you a story and and this is a, a great f- story that's in our family, um, but if you knew my dad, you understand this story. Some of you knew my dad david and, and you you knew his nature, his personality. Uh, he was by nature uh, by gifting an apostle by nature a pioneer uh, he was the kind of guy that went where no one else had gone before, and so sometimes that was a good thing, and sometimes that was a challenging thing we went uh, we would often go horseback riding in the mountains. It was one of my favorite things growing up. As a kid, I loved to ride horses. And when you hear that, uh, some of you, and I know some of you own horses. And so when you picture riding horses, you, you picture riding through an open field or, uh, you know, just having all this space to ride. But when I grew up riding horses, it was very rarely free riding. It was mostly trail riding And I know some of you are already snickering, like that's not real horseback riding, but chill out. I was just a kid, okay? And I enjoyed it. But we would trail ride through the mountains. And uh, if you've ever been on a trail ride, those horses in in that part of, like most of those trail rides in the mountains, those horses know their trail and they do not depart from it. They know the trail. They know that they're supposed to look at the butt of the horse in front of them and walk and you cannot get them off their path. Well, we went horseback riding at David Thompson Resort, which is sort of near Rocky Mountain House. And uh, it, just when the, the Rocky Mountains are coming into view there at David Thompson, we went horseback riding there and, and uh, we're all riding along. Everything's going fine. And my dad realizes that he's lost the lens cap to his camera. My dad always had like a big chunky camera with him. You know, it was, uh, he, he had a big Betamax camera for a long time and he had big film cameras. And so, you know, he was taking pictures and he had dropped a lens cap. And when he realized it, he was going to go back for it. So we, we, we see him trying to turn his horse. Well, he's got a horse that does not want to turn. He's got a horse that is trained to stay on the trail. Keep that butt in front of you in your line of sight and don't get off of it. Well, my dad's trying to get this horse to get off the path and, and horror of horrors to actually go the opposite direction. This horse begins to whinny. It begins to, you know, make all this noise and 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 fight my dad. My dad wrestles it in and starts going backwards. This horse is acting like someone's trying to kidnap him. Someone's trying to, to murder him. You know, this horse is going crazy. And, and, and my, my dad's just trying to get it to go backwards. Well, when my dad finally Realizes he can't find that lens cap. He lets the horse go back on the trail and the horse immediately just gallops, gallops and back to the trail, gets where he's supposed to be in line and looks at the other horses and looks at everybody else. Like, did you see what just happened? I mean, we freaked that horse out. We, We may have shortened its lifespan just due to high blood pressure. I don't know if horses deal with that, but whatever was happening, that horse was throwing a fit because that horse was was used to the trail it was used to the routine and when someone tried to change that routine that horse put up a fight i think sometimes we're like that horse the holy spirit god is moving us and saying There's something off the trail that you're not used to. There's something, there's a new trail I want to pay for you. And we're so used to following the trail, the routine of Monday to Sunday that we've been doing, that we prepare for church on this and we do this and we do this, that that when someone changes that, we're like that horse. We freak out. Don't mess up my routine. Let me keep my pattern. Let me stay on the trail. Let me look at that horse in front of me. As bad of a view as that is, I'm at least used to it. Well, what if God is saying there's a new trail for you? What if God is saying that trail you were on was good? You see, for God to put something new in front of us doesn't make the old bad. I think that's something we've got to realize. A new season is not, it doesn't say anything bad about the old season. If the old season was of God, so will the new season. You don't have to be smirched the old season to step into a new season. But you've got to trust you got to trust that the spirit that's holding the reins is, is smarter, is wiser, is better, is more loving than you'll ever be and has your good in mind. I, I want to bring you back to the story of how the church began. You know, next week is Pentecost. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. We we remember when the spirit came on the church and the church began that is the church's birthday the church like i'm not talking about the word church but the church big c church the birthday of the church probably if you're going to be technical about it you could either say it's when jesus commissioned them but i would say you know the the birthday of the church a great point a great place to put a flag is when the spirit came on the church and when that happened everything changed I want to remind you that Jesus told them to wait for the spirit. He gave them the great commission. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven or on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. You know, he did not tell them to go without the authority, without the power. And in fact, he was, he said, you, you know, he was, he was giving them a mission, the great commission. And then he says this, but wait in Jerusalem, don't leave until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, you will receive power in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses everywhere in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He gave them a mission, but he said, don't even try it without the Holy Spirit. I had something different in mind to preach this morning, but God put it on my heart. I mean, when I finally stopped fighting God like that, like that horse, I finally stopped fighting. I heard this. Talk about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the most essential element of the church. And now, of course, you could talk about every, uh, every you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are equally important to the church. Jesus is the head, right? And we, we, we are always in, in, in walking in the fear of the Lord. We are always honoring God. So, so don't get me wrong. They are all equally valuable. But I want to talk about the place of the Holy Spirit in the church. If we're going to go back to where the church started, it started with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came on the church, the church had a mission, the church had the power to carry out that mission, and the church had the unity to do it together. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit gets a la- bad rap. Some people think that, you know, us, you know, the, these churches that talk about the Holy Spirit, everybody just does their own thing. You, you can't, dip, you know, they're just all over the place, just swinging from the chandeliers. They're, they're, you don't know what they're going to do, but that's not true. In fact, the, the, the Bible says God is a God of order. But, but here's the deal. You know, if you like football and you've ever been on a football field or you've ever watched a football game, when you watch that football game, if we were to be put in the middle of that field and you didn't know what was going on, it would seem like chaos. But to the coach that drew out that play, this guy's doing a button hook, this guy's blocking, this guy's running, this guy's, you know, all, everything's got its purpose. To the coach that drew up the play, it's order. To you, if you don't know what's going on and you're not listening to the play, if you didn't pay attention when the play was called, it seems like chaos. But if you are listening to the voice of the coach, that's order. It's much like that in church. If you don't know what's going on, it's chaos. This person's singing and this person prophesies. You know, all these things are happening. And you may say, well, there's no order in that. But yes, there is. And sometimes we abuse our liberty We abuse our freedom and we do something that that is more self-serving than serving the body. And we blame the Holy Spirit. But but the truth is the Holy Spirit actually causes all the parts to work together. That's what happened in the early church. All of a sudden, the church found themselves functioning as one. It began that way. The church was of one mind, meeting in one place, intent on one purpose. And when the Holy Spirit came, He united them that's what's going to happen as we move forward. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us. And every single one of you who's a believer, every single one of you who's a member of the church, not just of the word church, but the church of Jesus, his body. Every single one of you carries something in you that is unique and necessary to the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth. God put you here for a reason. God did not put you here to be a spectator. God put you here to be on the field participating. And the Bible tells us that there are gifts in the church, and and especially during a time like this where we're receiving, there is equipping for the church. In Ephesians 4, he says he gives these gifts for equipping the church, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He is equipping us for ministry. Today, you are being equipped for ministry, and that's important. Let's not forget how important that is. You know, and I'll give you some examples here. As Jesus told them to wait, don't go, don't do a thing without the Holy Spirit. I think it's important that we realize that there is no plan we should ever make without the Holy Spirit. In this season, we have been seeking the Lord. We have been on our faces before God saying, God, how do you want us to roll this out? What do you want us to do? And the Lord's been leading and guiding us and and, and that's so important. God wants to do that through all of us. God wants to speak to His church. You know how many people, like, I, I, unfortunately, the one thing I've had to do more than uh, in this season that I'm not used to is is go on Facebook. I am not a Facebook fan. If you are, bless your heart. I love you. There's a lot of people doing good stuff on Facebook. For me, it's like walking into Walmart and everybody's yelling. That's what it's like. Walking into a grocery store and everybody's yelling all at once. That's what Facebook is like to me. Maybe you love it. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But but when I, I, so I've never been a Facebook guy, but now that we're, you know, doing more stuff for the church on it, you know, I'm on it a little bit more and I notice it's, it's a lot of rants and you know, some of them are really good. Some of them are silly. Some of them. I think, are off base, but there's a lot of rants. There's a lot of people ranting all the time. And you know what? What I'd love to see from the church is more paragraphs that started with, I was in the Word today, and this is what God laid on my heart. I was in prayer today, and this is where God took me. I'd love to see more paragraphs start with that than I read another article, I saw another video today. There's nothing wrong with news and information, but... Our loudest voice should be a voice that's informed by the Spirit of God. And what comes out of that place is the life of God. Don't worry, I'm not talking about your post. I probably didn't see your post, but I am telling you this. We need to, if we're going to say something loud, if we are going to broadcast, there's nothing wrong with saying, I saw a news article here, saw a video that could be helpful, awesome. But what we really need to do is get into prayer get into the word hear the voice of God have the mind of Christ be of the same mind and get his vision because he is taking us places nobody thought we could go this is a God who makes highways in the sea rivers in the desert we have a God who makes roads in the Red Sea who makes pathways in the Jordan who topples the walls of Jericho all of these things Things are impossible and you could never plan for them, but it is God that shows us I'm making a new way for you. Do you believe that God has a new way for us in 2020? Do you believe that God has a new way for us? There are going to be some old things that we take with us. There are going to be some things that God's given us in the past that we take with us, but there'll be new things, new areas, new, new expanses, new frontiers, and that some of them are downright impossible without him. In fact all of them were impossible without him I want to tell you in this in this next part of the service here I want to tell you about a church in the early uh, history of the church a church that was known as the church of Antioch it's kind of tricky because there was there was a there were a lot of Antiochs in that in that area but this is a specific city of Antioch and in this Antioch um, it began in an in a kind of a strange way When the church uh, was meeting in Jerusalem, they grew from 120 people in the upper room, hundreds more that were probably part of the church because the Bible says that Jesus appeared to 500. Um, They grew from just a few hundred to thousands, to more thousands, to more thousands. And the church exploded and the church in Jerusalem was actually, you know, moving mightily. And even under persecution, even under threat, they they were functioning in, in a powerful way. And I bet it would have been amazing to be in that church with the 12 apostles as your leaders. It must have been amazing. But when the church was scattered due to persecution, remember Jesus had told them, wait in Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. You see, they did that, but then they just stayed in Jerusalem. He said, stay in Jerusalem Until the spirit comes. And then he said, when the spirit comes, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' message was, when you've got the spirit, go. But their message was, ah, we're loving it here. Let's not change it. uh, This is great. This is comfortable. And so they didn't leave Jerusalem until persecution came and scattered them. Events changed. Something they didn't plan for scattered them. But when they scattered, they began to preach the word wherever they went. And it says this in Acts chapter 12. Let me read it to you. There's a group of people that, that are, uh, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 11. It says in verse 19, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord." They, nobody had planned this, but they began to be led by the Spirit of God to do something no one else was doing, and God was with them. Then Barnabas and Paul, who was known as Saul in this chapter, they came to the, to the church here and began to minister. And as they ministered to the church there, the church just kept blossoming, kept taking off. Then one day they're ministering to the Lord, and a bunch of prophets and elders, and a bunch of the leaders are in a room just worshiping, fasting, and praying. And God says, set these two aside. Set Saul and Barnabas aside for my purpose. I'm going to send them on a missionary journey. We know it now as the first missionary journey. But they didn't know what a missionary journey was. Nobody had gone on a missionary journey. There'd just been a bunch of people who were scattered and just preached on the way. But these are the first two to be intentionally sent to go and preach the gospel. You see, the church in Jerusalem got in a pattern of keeping what they had. But the church in Antioch got a hold of revelation of giving what they had. They had two of the best ministers in their church, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, some of the the best preachers the New Testament church ever had. And uh, then all of a sudden God says, send them out. Do you know what? They did. There was another time when the, God told them there was going to be a famine in the whole world, and, including their city, and their reaction, let's take up an offering and send it to Jerusalem. See, Antioch was a sending church. Antioch was a church that, that was born out of change, so they weren't afraid of change. They just knew, hey, the Spirit of God is going to show us what to do. The Spirit of God is going to lead us into new places, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. When they were praying, God gave them a mission. I want you to know that our mission is going to come from the Spirit of God. If we don't get that time with God, how will we know where to go and what to do? You need to get into the presence of God. Because there's a mission for the church at large, but there's also a mission for you. Maybe you've been putting your pros and cons on the paper, trying to figure out what's next. Settle down and just begin to pray. Begin to worship. Begin to minister to God. I promise you, you're going to get some direction. I want to show you something in 1 Corinthians 12 as we begin to draw towards our end goal today. And I want to talk to you about the spirit in the body. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 says that the temple, the body of Christ is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells in the temple. The Spirit of God dwells in the church. The church is the place where the Holy Spirit is dwelling. And he says in that chapter, if anyone tries to destroy that temple, God will destroy them. Do you understand that God would never let anyone destroy his church? There is nobody, nobody, no thing that could destroy the church of Jesus. He said even if they tried, I'll destroy them. There is nobody that can break up what God started. But what makes the church holy? What makes the church special? The spirit of God dwells in it. And 1 Corinthians 3 says the reason that you need to remember that. He's talking to them about unity because he said they're, they're, they're dividing. They've got factions. They're each going their own way. And he said, you guys are acting like babies. You need to grow up and realize that God called you to be together. God called you to put your personal stuff aside and be in unity because the Holy Spirit lives in this gathering. In 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 4, it says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And what is he saying? Each one of us carries something. Each one of us has the Spirit of God living within us but the spirit of God living in me is gonna do something different through me than he's gonna do in you. Same spirit. Not a different spirit, same spirit. But he's going to do something different in me. And here's what he says. Whatever he does in me and whatever he does in you, it will be for the common good. You have to understand that God has given you gifts. You are important to the body of Christ. You have something. The spirit of God is working in me and he's working in you. And when the body comes together, the spirit of God unites us. The Bible says it is the spirit of unity. He is a spirit of unity. He says that there is that spirit. That spiritual bond of unity, that unity of the spirit, the bond of peace that calls different, unique, individual people together to do something they could never do on their own. So, I want you to know there are things in you that God is working with and God is bringing out, and they're important in this next stage. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever whatever is next for the church, and it's good, there's some exciting things ahead. Whatever is next, it's going to require you realizing we have need of you and you have need of us. Don't let this season of staying home convince you that church is about putting out videos and church is about watching them. Church is about the connecting parts of the body. The Bible says by whatever, the the body is built up, in Ephesians it says this, the body is built up and held together by whatever, by what every joint supplies. There is something in the joints that God is using. He says here, each one of us has a manifestation of the spirit, but it is the same spirit. Do you know that you don't have a different spirit than I have? You don't have a different Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's in you is not a copy. This is not like different copies of Windows running on different computers. We don't each have a copy of the Spirit. We have the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He's only one Spirit, only one. It's not millions or billions of different spirits. It's one Holy Spirit, and He's working in all of us for the common good. You know, my hand could... You know, it's functional, it's important. And and my feet, they're important. But, you know, I don't go through my day with my hand trying to show you its best trick. And my feet, trying to show you it, their best trick. And my ears, trying to show you their best trick. Because if we did that, we'd look insane. No, the body parts don't, don't do the things that make them look the best. They do the things which fun- cause the body to function best together. If you're running towards a line, you're, uh, a finish line, your arms are working, your legs are working, your eyes are working, your lungs are working, your nose is even working. Everything's working to get you to that goal. But what if the hand just said, this is boring. This doesn't show off what I can do, but this does. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Or what if the feet said, You're just running is boring. I can do a dance move. What, what, if your, what if your eyes said, but watch what I can do? You know, they might show off their greatest diversity of strengths, but it won't get you to the goal any faster. You'll know the Spirit Because the Spirit is not about the exaltation of individual gifts, but the working together of those gifts for the common good. He says this, he lists a bunch of those gifts, and I encourage you to read them, 1 Corinthians 12, that's your homework. But he says in verse 12, "'For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body.'" By one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. What's going to keep the church together? What's going to keep the church working And whatever comes next? What's going to keep us from drifting apart? What's going to keep us from being in chaos it's the same thing that the church has always had going for it. The, th- the beating heart, the guts of the church, the lifeblood of the church is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to cause us to work together. He goes on to say this. He says, For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, He's arranged it this way, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. I want you to consider that you are Christ's body, that we are Christ's body. We are the church and the church is a body. The church is a temple for the spirit, a a temple that is not built with human hands. In fact, the Bible says the temple is built of living stones. You and me are the living stones. So that doesn't change. No matter what happens, that doesn't change. The church is a body. No matter what happens, you can't say they don't need me. You can't say I don't need them. You can't say, well, I figured out, you know, I'm pretty comfy, I don't need anybody else. No, you don't. You do. You do need other people. We need each other, and it is the Spirit of God that shows us this. So today, if, if I'm going to tell you the number one thing that's essential for the church moving forward, it is that we live, move, and breathe by the power of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is essential to the church. So here's what you what you need to do with that. Number one, seek the Spirit of God. Be led by, by the spirit of God. We've been so led by circumstance and situation. We've allowed ourselves to be riled up by one thing, we've allowed ourselves to be moved by another. What we need to do is get back to that place where we say, "Lord, what do you have?" Where we are moved by the spirit of God. And I want you to know one more thing. This is one more thing I want you to take with you. You are essential. You are essential to the body. Do not let yourself be disconnected. The Holy Spirit in you has a purpose for you in the body. And you don't need to push yourself in a position. You don't need to make it happen. You just need to make yourself available. And when God, when you make yourself available to the Lord, He'll use you. So today, maybe you've wondered, you know, I think my gift became irrelevant when uh, when you know, we weren't having services in, in, uh, on a Sunday morning. Well, we'll have services on Sunday morning again in a building again. That's going to happen again. But let me tell you, your gift was never dependent on that. If your gift was dependent on that, then it's a 21st century gift. But every gift that God puts in the Bible and the body has been around since the beginning of the church. Uh, and so you have to be able to ask yourself, what does my gift look like in this context? If I'm a prayer, if I'm an intercessor, what would an intercessor do right, right now? If I'm an encourager, how can I encourage? If, I, if I'm an evangelist, how can I preach the gospel to every living creature? It, it, you know, whatever your gifting is, how does it function right now? God will show you. The Spirit will show you. And listen. And the, the, the body parts are never meant to be independent. He says they are meant to function together. You, whatever gift God's put in you will be for the common good, he said. So whatever gift you put, God's put in you will find way greater meaning when it's in function with the rest of the body. And one more thing I want to lead you with. leave you with. Jesus walked on the water in the middle of a storm that the disciples thought was going to kill them. Jesus walked in, on the water in the middle of the worst storm they'd seen in a long time. Jesus doesn't need calm waters to walk on the water, and he doesn't need calm waters to call you out on the water. So stop waiting for things to settle down for you to move by the Spirit of God. What are you waiting for? Don't wait for things to settle down. Things never settle down. Just keep moving forward with him, and he'll lead you, and he'll guide you. Let's stay connected to Him and let's stay connected to one another.